How about a mic check? How about a mic check? How about how about it? Can I get one? Can I get a mic check? Oh, you're looking at something. What are you looking at? No, to don't see if literally. The mic brand is facing me. Don't literally check the mic. Mic check. One, two, one, two, three. My mic is still checked. Yeah, why do we do one, two, three? I think maybe next time I'll do like mic check and I'll find some like prime numbers or big long decimals or something like that. Hey there, dear listener. Welcome to episode 13. It's Friday the 13th also. Oh my goodness. Well. Weird. Yeah, I shouldn't have walked under all of those ladders. (laughs) I I saw a bunch of them and I was just like, oh, I'm gonna walk the the dickens out of under all of them. That's how it happened, folks. So I just need you to stay away from me for the next I don't know couple of weeks. That's probably how much. No I- problem. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it's not the it's not the win I think it is. I don't know how much bad luck I've queued up, but uh, hopefully, would you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a little bit of bad luck for like six months, or would you rather have? one moderately bad thing happened to you and then not have anything bad happen to you for six months. Definitely that. That first one? Yeah. Or that, wait, that second one? Which one? I've lost track. (laughs) The latter. Yeah, the one with the big bad luck thing. Yeah. Yeah, where you're just like, oh man, someone slashed all of my tires. Right, that's way better than having one tire slashed (laughs) every other day. (laughs) For six months. (laughs) That's. I think we've escalated from bad luck into like stalking. <laughs> I should call a lawyer. And speaking of lawyers, we've got uh, we've got some games. We've got some games here. This is a mishmash episode. I think we couldn't really come up with a theme, and we had played a bunch of games, and we said, ah, oh, we should just record our thoughts and just get these down. So uh, this go round, we've got four games lined up. We've got lawyer up, lawyer up. We got shaman down. <laughs> We got Factory Funner to the left, and we've got Witchstone to the right. So let's start, I think, by donning our m- mystical garb and uh, and getting in tune with the elements of uh, both nature and time, and I suppose space. So all three of those things. And let's shamans on down. <laughs> shamans, shamans down. All right, folks. We're here, we're ready to do the mission. But before we do the mission, I wanna make sure we're all on the same team, right? Totally. Great, fantastic, let's go do the mission. Oh, we're back from the mission. That was a great mission. We succeed, okay, time for another mission now. We still, we're all still on the same team, right? Totally. Great, next mission. Okay, that mission was was good. It's a good mission. I have a question. Is, is the mission still to just pull this totem towards the moon? Or rather, save that totem from colliding with the moon? What is that thing anyway? You know, I'm not really sure. Dagger! I just daggered you. You gave yourself away. I guess I am the weakest shaman. The weakest shaman. There we go. That was a play in one act. The weakest shaman. Highs and lows. Emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Just like the game. Just like the game. Shamans by Studio H. Uh, this is where I try and probably fail to uh, pronounce the designer's names properly, 
We've got Cedric Chaboussi and Maud Chalmel. I'm, those names sound very f- French to me. And so I probably have no idea if I'm saying them right. Well, maybe we'll do a little record scratch and uh, we'll have Whisper Voice uh, confirm whether or not I'm saying them right. Shamans is a semi-cooperative trick-taking game. Semi-cooperative in the sense that somebody is a saboteur. In games like this where you have a social deduction aspect, you are dealt out your roles in secret at the beginning of each round. And you play several rounds. You get points based on if you win, obviously. And then you proceed right on to the next round where you also will get points if you're part of the winning team. And you're still alive, I should say. Yeah. So you could be a saboteur and lose, but then be on the other side and win in another round and still come out on top, perhaps. This is all a big swirling mass of maybes and possiblies Mm. and you could be's. So let's do what we normally do once we've gotten waist deep in this kind of stuff and uh, start at the beginning and go over how the game works. So the game is a charming little board, long, narrow board with a bunch of really nice foil moon phase artwork on it. And you move a cylinder with an etching on the top towards the moon or away from the moon. Uh, If you are one of the light players you are trying to move it away from the moon if you're one of the dark players you are trying to move it towards the moon specifically if you're a light player you're trying to stop it from crashing into the moon true yeah good point yeah i'm not really sure if the uh i was about to say recipe book (laughs) the recipe book well let's see what we got in here i'm not sure of the instructions ingredients we've got (laughs) uh we've got add uh, three players add one traitorous scumbag was uh, there any explanation for what this cylinder is supposed to be yeah it's uh you are a shaman since the dawn of time you've been protecting the spirit worlds from cylinders flying towards your moon <laughs> and there you have it that's it the that's, cylinders flying towards the moon that's the story so it's a trick-taking game yeah let's take another step back uh because some people might not know what trick-taking games are sure so a trick-taking game is in its barest form uh one player will play a card Uh, of a certain suit and a certain number, and then everyone else has a responsibility to play a card of the same suit. And that's about all that all trick-taking games have in common, typically. The obligation to play the same suit as the person who led the trick. So does that mean this is not a trick-taking game because there is not an obligation to play the same suit? The second thing that is common amongst trick-taking games is that there's all kinds of variations on, on how they're played, And so, yes, paradoxically, this game both is and is not a trick-taking game because you are not required to play the same suit as the person who led. It's just in just about everyone's best interest for everyone to follow suit. So in Shamans, there are, in a three-person game, that's the fewest you can play with, Yes, there are five suits. These are beautiful cards in kind of gemstone-y hues with really nice art on them. Let's have a little pop quiz. What color is this? Amethyst. What color is that? Emerald. And what color is that? Topaz. Great. What color is that? Sapphire. Mm-hmm. What color is that? Smoky quartz. <laughs> Smoky quartz. You just saved yourself. Your knowledge of gemstones, you've passed the test. I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> uh, they're really lovely. The art is actually something that I like quite a bit about this game. Yeah. Uh, including the the board with the nice foil moon faces, as I said. It's it's. It's a pleaser yeah. aesthetically. Presentation 
is is spot on, I think. Yep. Keep it going. So now that we've laid out what a trick-taking game is, yeah. maybe we should provide a little more information about how Shamans puts its own spin on that genre. Its own little take. Yeah. So the way it's going to work is the game is played over a series of rounds, and every round will start with someone leading a trick. That person will play a card uh, of a number and a suit, and it will go around the table once, and everyone will have a chance to play a card of their own. If they play a card of the same suit, fantastic. If they don't, then the the evil space cylinder will move one step closer to the moon, and everyone will immediately start thinking that maybe that player is a shadow player. Fantastic. <laughs> On the board, there are spots where cards of each suit live during the course of the round. When a shadow player, (laughs) not necessarily the shadow player, but when someone plays a card that is not of the current suit, uh, not only does the evil space cylinder move one step closer to the moon, but that card that that person played then gets put under one of the columns that are each dedicated to the different suits. And that's important because once all the cards of a given suit have made their way under one of the columns, that suit's special power can activate. And we'll cover those special powers in a little bit. But a well-played card that is not of the current suit... That is the last card of one of the suits on the board. Yep, can give that person who played that card a nice little special power they can activate, even though it maybe overall hurts all the, the light players. Once the trick is finished, everyone has played the card they're going to play. Everyone who has played a card of the lead suit looks to see who played the lowest card and who played the highest card. The lowest card gets to take one of a variety of tokens that are on the board. Uh, From a stack of tokens that are face down, two of them are turned over and face up. Are they called artifacts? I I think they're called artifacts. They are available to be taken. The face-up ones, obviously, if you take a face-up one, everyone knows what you're taking. And if you take the face-down one, it's a secret to you and you alone. The different tokens give you an opportunity to manipulate this space cylinder forward or backwards. Um, They give you some kind of little miniature set collection thing going on. For bonus points. For bonus points. If you collect a couple of them, you'll get some extra bonus points as long as you're alive, regardless of whether or not in the shadow or light side one. Um, one of these tokens is the the reveal token. If you take it, you have to show everybody what you are. Even if you take that token off the stack face down. Honor system. Honor system. Don't be a jerk. You have to show everybody that you drew that token and you have to show everybody who you are. The main reason you're going to be drawing these artifact tokens is because some of them are daggers. And those daggers are used in conjunction with the suit's special powers that I talked about earlier. So when you complete a column of a suit by filling it in with every single card, if you, as soon as you put that last card in place, you've activated that suit's special power. And a couple of these colors in a, in a three player game and four of these colors in a four or five player game have the ability to activate one of your stabbers to (laughs) eliminate it. Yeah. One of the other players. One of the other players. You have to have two of these dagger tokens, so you have to have collected enough tokens to be able to to do the stabbing. And you have to complete the color. And you have to be the person who put that last card under that column. Once you've done those two things, 
happy stabbing. You just pick someone and you stab them and they are out of the game. If you stab the shadow player, light players win. Yay. If you're a light player and you stab another light player, you just made things a little more difficult. If you're the shadow player and you stab a light player, you've made things easier. It's 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 just like just as simple as that. Just stab away and look, you, you just have just a, a simple stabbing. Simple stabbing takes care of a lot of things. And the person who played the highest card of that suit gets to lead the next trick. And also, when the trick is over, all the cards that were played of the lead suit get put under the column of that suit. And if that completed it as well, the person who played the highest card gets to activate that special ability uh, like we had talked about before. And like most games where card counting could spoil the day, you take three cards out from the entire mix before they're even dealt. So you might think, hey, I've got the last card of this suit, and then you're waiting for the penultimate card to be played, and it never is because it's one of those three the whole time. So it can be very tricky as far as the end game part as you see these stacks filling up thinking that you might be in store for some power and then the ultimate disappointment when the ultimate disappointment (laughs) yep that happens happens a lot actually where you just think "Um, i'm ready to stab i'm ready to do some stabbing (laughs) and the final card never comes out for you to be able to to do the stabbing so at the end of the round once all the tricks have been played and everything's said and done uh, if the shadow side won any shadow players who were still alive will get three points. If the light side won, any light players who were still alive will get two points each. And anybody who managed to collect a set of two of those artifacts that have the same symbol on them yep. will also get two points. Even whichever side won doesn't matter. As long as you're still alive with those two tokens that match, you're going to get those two points. And then you play again. And again. And then you play again. And again. Until somebody amasses eight points and the game is over. Yep. So from round to round to round, you might be the light side in one round and then the shadow player in another round. And in fact, in the middle of a round, your role could switch. One of these suit abilities that we talk about is a role switcheroo. Which was actually very exciting in a game that we just played for me because I saw that the shadow player was about to win and I finished off the, I believe we decided this was the Topaz column. Yeah, I finished the Topaz column with that switcheroo ability. I knew for sure who the shadow player was because you had revealed yourself. Yeah. So I swapped with the shadow player and got to seize victory from the jaws of defeat (laughs) for myself. Yeah. So now that we know how the game works... Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about what we think about how we feel. (sighs) Yeah, that's, (laughs) oh, this game. Yeah. This Mm. game. So frustrated. Yeah. It's, it's a rough game. It is. It's a frustrating game to play. It's tricky. It's weird. It's this, we, we kind of knew going into it that it was this interesting blend of, of, traitor mechanic and trick taking and we thought oh that's interesting don't know if it's been good it's not that it's hard to play when we say tricky it's not that it's difficult to play no it's not it's that it is difficult in my opinion as the light players to win yeah because the shadow player can intentionally constantly every hand yeah move things in that direction and you can't keep the shadow player from playing yeah he or she gets to continue 
Yep. Stepping it one step towards the moon every single hand if he or she wants to, if he's not trying to be under or she's not trying to be undercover about it. Um, but additionally, it becomes very difficult for the rest of the players to stop the plotting towards the moon. At some point, you just run out of cards that yeah. other people have. You're going to have some certain percentage of hands that are just going to end up with the, the evil space cylinder moving towards the moon through nobody's fault on the light side. Nobody's fault at all. You're probably just going to, you know, in a three-player game where there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven spots, I don't know, two or three of them are going to be because someone led with a card that other light players can't follow. And yes, you can stab the shadow player, but it's really difficult to do. To do that, you will have to have played the lowest card in a suit that was led two times times. to get the artifact, and you hope that those dagger artifacts are there when you do it, or that you draw a lucky draw off the top of the stack. And you have to have held on to what will be the last card in a color at some point in one of the colors that has as the boon the stabby ability. And you have to count on the fact that the card that you've held on to isn't one of the ones that has been removed from the game yeah. or of the suit that has been removed from the game. It's a lot that has to really work in concert for you to be able to successfully stab the shadow player. And other than that, you just have to run out the clock. And it's just incredibly, as we discussed, difficult to run out the clock. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's difficult. Uh, what ends up happening then is you end up saying to yourself, okay, I can't win by by killing the shadow player. So what I'm going to do instead is just, I'm just going to collect these little set collection tokens to give myself two points and try to stay alive. Or I'm if I even have the option to do it, I'm just going to swap with the shadow player and then I'm going to get the three points. Which is very satisfying when you're able to do it, but that also just involves a lot of luck. A, a lot of luck. It's it's. I think it's easier to do the swap with someone than it is to try to murder somebody because the swap doesn't require daggers. Yeah, if you happen to have the last topaz, you can do that. Yeah. So what ends up happening is you play this game in just what feels to me in this way that, that just the theme does not necessarily call out for. And by theme, I don't, I don't really necessarily mean shamans themselves. I mean, when we think of a, a trader mechanic game, we think we, the, the good players, are trying to accomplish a goal and the dark players trying to get in our way. So one of the ways we can eliminate that and possibly even win the game is to kill the dark player. But that's really difficult to do. And so you just decide we're not going to bother doing that. And instead, one of the light players at the last second is going to try to figure out a way that maybe they can swap. It just feels like you're, you're cheesing your way to victory, to your eight victory points, rather than winning because you're the light players and, and you've done light player stuff to win the game. Uh, I disagree about the last minute swooping in and, and changing modes as being the reason why you wouldn't want to play optimally. Okay. It's, it's a lot of luck to get there. You have to hang on. There's only one suit that lets you do that. Yeah. And you have to have the last one of that suit. Yeah, you do. It's it's easier to do than than stabbing. And, and anytime I've played the game, I've always, if there's been an opportunity for me to swap with someone I know who the shadow player is, I will always choose to swap them rather than try to kill them. Uh, or just accept the fact that maybe the shadow player is going to win. In a given round. But you also don't know if the Topaz is one of the ones that's removed. That's kind of what I bet on. And maybe that's my strategy is is failure. Maybe I have maybe I have bad strategy. 
it just it's so it just feels so frustrating to play this game when there are so many other good trader mechanics and trick taking games that we could be playing instead. I think this is a case. I look. I like pizza. I like ice cream. I don't need a big old scoop of Briar's ice cream on my pizza. They don't have Briar's ice cream out here, do they? Edie's. Edie's. East Coasters. And your weird names for things. And our weirdly shaped butter. And your weirdly shaped butter. Don't get me so. Don't get me started on your butter. (laughs) Friends, have you gotten yourself into some legal trouble? Are you in trouble? Have you allegedly stolen millions of dollars worth of priceless art, potentially, under under the alias Spider? Are you possibly allegedly the master art criminal, the Spider? Then uh, go ahead and, and give us a call down here at, at TMD Law Incorporated. Is that how do law do lawyers incorporate? Is that a thing? What's LLC. That? That's one of those L's stands for lawyers, doesn't it? Friends. Have you accidentally killed your father? Have you have you been found by the police standing over the body of your family's patriarch holding a bloody knife? No, not necessarily holding a bloody knife. They found a bloody knife. You may not have been holding it. Is this a game about how to market for law firms? Because you're nailing it. I'm man. I missed my calling. Friends, <laughs> is it is it the mid 1600s and Goody Goody Smith and and Goody Johnson have 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 suspicions about you dancing naked in the woods in prayer to Baphomet, the the, the goat god sitting on his throne of lies. Well, go ahead and I don't know if they had incorporations in the mid 1600s, but you know, get yourself a good lawyer. Our you know two most difficult great 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 great. Great, 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 great grandsisters. <laughs> Two most difficult, but with like a, maybe a Roman numeral too. Law Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Lawyer up. Friends, if <laughs> oh, you found yourself being charged with being the head of a mafioso crime family. Maybe we should focus our bit on the corset <laughs> rather than the expansions. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Friends, if you find yourself accused of any form of crime at all in which you have allegedly committed it, do not call us. We are not lawyers. But we possibly could be after playing enough rounds of Lawyer Up. Which basically prepare you for the bar in a fun way. 100%. Yep. Uh, Lawyer Up by Rock Manor Games. This was uh, another, another Kickstarter Kickstarted it a while ago. It showed up a while ago, and it sat on our small shelf. We have a small shelf of games. Because this is a small box. It's a small box. And we have now put it out on the table and played through the couple of cases in the core box and one of the two expansions for it and are here to tell you about how to pass the bar exam. (laughs) (laughs) No, we are here to tell you about this game, Lawyer Up. It is, it is pretty much entirely cards. It's all cards. Some, a few wooden tokens here and there and a couple of dials. But the law on 60 cards per deck, per case. The whole law and nothing but the law. So help me God. Laura, why don't you go ahead and lay out what you're going to get in this box? 
Oh, a lot of cards. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And some wooden tokens as well. Oh, and this dial. Yeah. That's these cool right. dials. The influence dial. So you have a defense deck. You have a prosecution deck. Yep. You've got a witness deck. Yeah. And then you've got these neutral cards that can wind up in either player's deck as well. Yeah. Those, those neutral cards that we're talking about are cards that are specific to the case you're playing. Mm -hmm. The prosecution and defense decks, the base deck that you get is going to be the same no matter what case. I don't know how many cards are in it, but I've got my cards as the prosecution maybe, and you've got your cards as the defense. And we definitely are going to start with those cards. And your decks are comprised of some arguments and some evidence and some what other kinds of things are there? Procedures. Procedures. Yep, Yep, there you go. And that's it. And you also have the wooden tokens, prosecutorial wooden tokens and defensatorial wooden tokens, which are uh, sidebars and objections. Yeah. And then you have a bunch of little bias tokens that have symbols on them. Like hearts and skulls and magnifying glasses and... The scales of justice. The scales of justice and the thumbs up of vermicillitude. Turns out vermicillitude isn't the word I think it is. It's not even a word. And the big brain of the law and the heart, which is the passion of the lawyer. And together they all form Captain, Captain Adjudication. <laughs> yep. So that's what you're what's what you're dealing with here. Yeah. You got yeah. a judge. You have a judge that's presiding true. over the case. And I like that with the I mean not to go off the rails here, but I do like that with the expansion, you have a, yeah. a back in timey judge. Long face, you know, evil eyes, long fingers, and the and the, the wig, the powdered yeah, you couldn't, wig. I mean, you definitely wouldn't feel right about playing the Salem Witch Trials version of the game yeah. without having an old timey yeah. judge. Yeah, I mean, doing the Salem yeah. Witch Trial with kind of this Lance Ito lookalike. Uh, that's, a, that's a little OJ trial reference for the uh, over 40 crowd. Who remember the OJ trial? Orange juice was on trial for what? For just being too delicious and rotting your teeth with all that citric acid. Okay, back to it. Back to the game here. Uh, So you've got your base components, right? You've got your prosecution and your defense decks. And then coming in the base game, you have two cases, the art of the crime and the Fairmont tragedy. The art of the crime is meant to be kind of a beginner intro to the game. And you can play the short, the normal, or the long version of that intro case. Case number one, the Fairmont tragedy, I think is the, is the real core of the game. It's, it's the game that you're supposed to play once you've kind of learned all the intricacies of all the rules and the strategies. It is just one single long case um, with some options you can choose, but, but you're still going to just be playing the same case. Oh, I forgot to mention that we have the jurors, too. They're not, there's not art for the jurors, but there are... Juror cards yep. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, there's 12, 12 juror cards. And these juror cards have some dots uh, on the prosecution side and some dots on the defense side to show how each individual juror is leaning. We've laid out what you're going to get in the box. And uh, we can describe what's on the box, which is two uh, lawyers having a very pleasant conversation. They're yelling at each other. While the judge in the background is is just kind of hanging out, uh, admiring the legal process play out before his very eyes. Definitely not angrily swinging a gavel. 
demanding order in the court. <laughs> Certainly not. But as for the game itself, let's talk a little bit about how it plays. Uh, the object of the game is mainly for the prosecution or the defense to get jurors on their side through clever card play, yep. uh, which represents uh, building a case and and badgering witnesses and uh, committing perjury and uh, all kinds of other stuff that is totally legal to do in a courtroom. The, the case zero, Art of the Crime, just requires one player to have the majority of the jurors on their side. 12 jurors, if I have seven on my side and five on yours, I win. I have successfully made my case. But when you graduate up to the murder case, the Fairmont tragedy, that introduces some new, some new wrinkles. It's actually designed to be like the actual law system. Yes, right. <laughs> so the prosecutor has to get all of the jurors on their side. If yep. even one yeah. can't find the defendant guilty, then the defendant is not guilty. Yeah. Now the prosecution can win the game early if the prosecution is able to sway the jurors enough to lock in their verdict uh, and do that across all 12 of them, then the game ends early and the law and order sound plays. Dum dum. And the prosecution wins. Uh, that That's the goal of the game. And how we get there is through a little bit of hand management and a whole lot of matching symbols. Yep. So let's talk about what's on these cards that are in your deck. Uh, if you look at a card, you're going to see some symbols up at the top. Uh, the symbols we were joking about earlier, you got your magnifying glass, your heart, your big brain, your thumbs up, your scales, and your skull. These symbols represent how you're laying out your case. When you play cards, you're going to kind of stack them on top of each other a little bit, like offset just a little bit, so that you can see that you're playing cards that have symbols that line up with previous cards that you've played. So like you're following a thread, I yep. suppose. So if you have a card that you've played with just a magnifying glass and a skull on it, your next card needs to have at least a magnifying glass or a skull on it. It can have other stuff, and in fact, it probably should, because mm -hmm. you want to keep that momentum going. You want to be able to play as many cards as you can, because cards, as you play them, are generally going to give you influence. If they are cards that have a banner in the upper left corner and a number of your side, for example, right now, I'm looking at a card that has a red four in the upper left. Red is the prosecution color, so if I were to play this card, I would get four influence for the witness that I'm currently interrogating. And that's a high value. That's a lot. This particular card that you play has an effect that happens when you play it, which is kind of bad. In this case, it's called Media Circus. And when I play this card, yeah, I'll get four influence, but then I have to reveal my hand and play with my hand revealed uh, for the in duration of questioning this witness that I've called. And the way card play works is you play a card, yeah. I play a card, you play a card, I play a card. It's kind of like, it really does do a decent job, I think, of mimicking yeah. how a trial goes with, with uh, you know, there's always this back and forth between the prosecution and the defense. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if I play a card, if I'm the prosecution and I play a card that has a blue banner, I still have to do the thing on the card, but I don't get the points for it because that doesn't really help me. Uh, so uh, you have to make sure that you time that stuff right uh, so that, that if, the, if the defense cards help the defense, but you're the prosecution, maybe you need to play that card in order to kind of act as a bridge between two of your cards. 
Or maybe you do want to play the card for the effect, even though it doesn't give you any points. Uh, there, there's reasons to play cards that maybe don't give you any points. And there's also uh, cards with these neutral banners as well. So if, whichever side plays them can also score that influence. So what you're going to be doing is, over the course of the witness, building this, this, this case represented by these symbols that all connect to each other as you lay them down. Eventually, you're going to run out of cards, and you're going to have to pass. Before that happens, though, if you feel like you need to draw a card in order to save your plan or need to do something else, each player has access to a sidebar token. And if you haven't already spent your sidebar token, you can flip that over and draw a card. Now, that'll take up your whole turn, but at least when it gets back to you, you'll have a card that you can play. The sidebar token also has the benefit of swaying the judge to your favor. There are certain card effects in the game that require you to have the favor of the judge. And if there's ever a tie for some things, then you'll win that tie. There are also these objection tokens that you can play. If your opponent plays a specific type of card. An and, argument. And that type is an argument. You can just uh, spend an objection token. You yell, objection! <laughs> And that argument that they played is immediately tossed out, and that player has to play another card right away. Which means they don't get whatever benefit there yep. may have been on the card. They don't get the, the points for influence that may have been on that card. Tossed out. And rather critically for this game, as we'll get to, yeah. they don't get the benefit of whatever symbols were on the top of that card that may have been part of their plan for yeah. playing next cards. Definitely objections are super important. Yeah, you get three of them to use over the course of the game, and you can only use one per witness. And most cases will have between like seven and nine witnesses. So you got to be judicious in their <laughs> use. <laughs> uh, you can get them. There's card effects that, that give them back to you, but those are very, very rare. Now, we've been talking a lot about witnesses and that sort of thing. So let's cover that for just a second. Depending on the case you play and the setup and all that stuff, you're going to have an array of witnesses that you can call. Let's say I'm the prosecution and it's my turn to call a witness. I'm going to look at the available witnesses that have been set up before, before the game started. And I see that there's a witness here with a red 3 for a primary influence value and a zero neutral for its secondary. Remember red is the prosecution mm -hmm. and the blue is defense and neutral is gray. So this witness uh, is one that I would want to call because its primary influence value is a red three. And with me being the prosecution, great, I'm calling this witness. So I get three influence right off the bat. And I get nothing. Yeah. Now, if I were to call a defense witness, one that maybe had a blue three as its primary value, I could still call that witness. But you would get no perk. I would get no perk for calling it, and the other player would get whatever the secondary value is. And if that secondary value were red and my opponent were the defense, then neither of us would get anything. So there are these built-in reasons that you may or may not want to call certain witnesses. And in addition to those reasons are the effects that happen when the witness is called. Uh, there might be a witness that says, uh, if the prosecution calls this witness, draw one card at random from your opponent's hand. Uh, here's one that uh, if the defense calls this witness, they get to adjust the bias of one of the jurors by one. Now let's talk about that. There are 12 jurors in the two cases that come with the base game, uh, and they each have a token on them. 
representing the different types of biases. Uh, like we said earlier, your hearts, your skulls, your scales, that kind of thing. And that represents the different jurors being sensitive to things like logic or emotion or, or justice. So whenever you have the opportunity to sway a juror, you're going you're gonna to pick a juror and you're going to slide one of those tokens to the red side or the blue side. To the red side or the blue side. That's right. Now, the point of all this is to play your cards to win the back and forth in order to claim the witness that yep. you call. And if I have 15 influence and Laura has 10 influence. Then you win the witness. Then I win the witness. I get to check the witness to see if they have any kind of victory conditions to see if I get any kind of bonus for winning that witness. Mm -hmm. The most recent card that I played might have a victory condition on it. Mm -hmm. And then I get to take that witness and claim it, put it in my little claim area. And then I subtract Laura's influence from mine and in this case, I get five influence I can spend to manipulate the biases of those 12 jurors. The ones further down the line, juror number six in the top row and the bottom row, that's, that's six influence for every spot that I want to move that token in my direction. So it's costlier to try to influence the ones that are further down the yep. line. Yep. Uh, and so maybe what you'll do during the game when it tells you you get a free sway you'll use that on the ones that are more expensive. And then the ones that are cheaper, you will influence when you win a witness. Yep. Uh, and like we said earlier, in the art of the crime, in the beginner case, at the end of all the witnesses, once they're all called, whoever has the most jurors is the winner. But in the Fairmont tragedy, uh, if the defense even has one person who's not convinced, who is not swayed by the prosecution, then the defense wins. So I feel like it makes it a little more difficult for the prosecution, but the prosecution has the opportunity to lock people in so the defense can't take them back at all. Yeah, but in my opinion, yeah. now I won. We're, I was we're shifting. We're shifting now. We're shifting gears into... Some feelings? Yeah, some feelings. In my opinion, I don't think that the deck was strong enough for you to be able to have that kind of a massive yeah. shift on the bias front okay i believe when we played the art of the deal <laughs> the or, art of the crime that's what i said <laughs> same thing <laughs> when <laughs> yeah getting political here when we played the art of the crime yeah i believe it was seven to five you know it was close yeah and there is not enough support i think for the prosecutorial deck in the bonus cards that are specific to the Fairmont tragedy yeah. to make it, I don't want to say feasible, mm. but to make it a fair match. A Fairmont. A Fairmont <laughs> between uh, getting every single juror versus getting just one because it, was, it wasn't it was 7 to 5 again, but I think I had four on my side. I had plenty on my side, yeah. which was plenty to win. It's funny you mentioned that the deck was not good enough to actually help the prosecution, me in this case, accomplished that goal because... The drafting mechanism we didn't talk about at all? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that deck is entirely my creation. In addition to the base decks that the prosecution and the defense get, the 60 cards that come in the case, they get doled out between the players over the course of a bunch of rounds of drafting. So we got our stack of 60. I take three and look at them. Laura takes three and looks at them. And of the three... 
You can choose one to keep, choose to give one to your opponent, and then put the third one in a deck called the Buried Evidence. For the most part, those cards won't be seen during the actual trial, but there's some effects that let you go digging through that to find something that, that you might need. So it's not a foolproof way to hide something from your opponent, but there's a pretty good chance it won't come into play. So you go through the entire case-specific yeah. deck, yep. three cards at a time, each yeah. of you, uh, and then choosing one for me, one for you, one for hopefully never. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and So if you, have, uh, if you have a deck that's just not living up to your expectations, you really only have yourself to blame. It's 50% your fault. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's some drafting to set up your deck, and then you kind of you know wind up your machine and and see if you are able to you know dispense justice over the course of the game. Uh, let's uh, let's get back to feelings. We can wrap this up. How are our feelings? What are our feelings? So I want to start with some things that I like because okay. I know where this review is headed. Okay. But some things that I like. Yeah. Include just the overall theme of the game. Yeah. It is really fun to say objection yeah. and turn over your... Pound the table. Yeah, turn over your objection chip and have... Hit the, the table so hard, the ob- objection chip flips over. You know, likewise, like sidebar. Now I'm going to play... It's not nearly as fun to yell sidebar. No, it's true, but it is nice to see the judge turn to you. Oh, yeah. And then to uh, take one of these procedure actions that all I think all require the judge's favor. Yeah. So... Those things are fun. Those are kind of disruptive little things that you can do and they're and they're limited, so you want to pick your time to do it. That's all fun. The cards in general are super thematic and not just the ones that come in the case-specific deck because those are, have things like very specific pieces of evidence or reference certain witnesses from that trial, but also just the base cards. Like I'm looking at some from the defense deck right now. Tamper with evidence. Oh, I'm looking mm. at that one too. We, we totally did not... Um, I, I, there's no way to say that. We totally did not set this up. I literally just randomly picked up a card. Yeah, there's like a whole spread of cards on the table in front of us. That was yeah. a definitely just coincidence there. Hey. Um, address the jury argument. That lets you sway a bias to somebody in the jury. Yeah. Um, no further questions. I like this one a lot. It has yeah. a super high influence value, but it has to be the last card you play. But you're done. You gain the judge's favor. Then you immediately take the pass action, which means no more cards. But also the art on this one is great. It's like a lady who's like flipping her hair in the judge's face. She's like, no further questions. Yep. Drop I'm, the mic. I'm it's through great. with this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is all really rich. And I think builds a good little story yeah. for the game that you're going to play. Yeah, a lot of heart went into the production of this game. Definitely no slouch there. Uh, but I wish... I wish there were more actual game here. Yeah. It's it's tough, man, because, you know, a new witness comes up and you draw back up to five. You can carry over cards from witness to witness, but most of the time you won't. And you'll get your hand to five and you both spend like, I don't know, three or four minutes in stony silence looking at your cards saying, okay, if I play this in this order, I can play this and then this. And then that. So you basically go into a round figuring out exactly what you're going to play and the order you're going to play. And yes, there's this back and forth between you and your opponent. Yeah. One card, one card, one card, one card, etc. But you already know what you're going to do. And you know what you're going to do because you have a little bit of a 
forced decision based on the symbols. Yeah. As we mentioned before, you can only play a card that contains at least one of the symbols of the prior card you played. So in some situations, you might draw a hand where you cannot even play all five cards. Yeah. And <laughs> in general, the more cards you play, the more influence you'll have and the better chance you'll get the witness so that you'll win the witness over. So you do want to try to play all of your cards if possible. And that's just a matter of figuring out the right order, potentially trying to end with one that has a nice victory condition or trying not to play one that has a bad thing that happens too early, you know, but really I don't have a lot of decision to make. It's, it's, I don't like saying this because it sounds mean, but I just didn't feel like I was actually playing the game at the worst points. I felt like here's my here's my hand of five. This is the very obvious order that I need to play them in, mm-hmm. and I just hope that I get to do that. Yeah, uh, because right in the middle there is an argument, and if I play it and she objects, that kills me for the rest of the witness. And then I can't play any more of my cards. I can't do anything else. I'm yep. done. There's no backup plan. They're like you. You must play what you must play, and you can't play what you can't play. And you even actually have to start with certain symbols based on the witness. Yeah. So it's not even a matter in, in some cases of figuring out which order to play your cards in. It's, I well, I know I have to play this one first because it's the only one that has any symbols that match the witness. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at a witness right now and it has a thumbs up and a scales, which means the very first card that I have to play has to have a thumbs up or a scales. And in my hand that I've just drawn for myself, the only one that has a thumbs up at all is the media circus one that makes me play with my entire hand revealed. <laughs> I don't want to play that one first. But I don't have a choice if I want to literally play anything else. So it just feels like the game is is playing me. And you don't have much of an opportunity to create a better hand for yourself. There no. are cards and actions that let you draw a card, but yeah. it's still literally the luck of the draw. Yeah. It's 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 rough. I suspect that the that a large majority of the game is in the drafting. And when I think of drafting, I think of draft a hand for yourself for this round and then play those cards draft an entire deck for yourself shuffle it and hope it works out (laughs) now we're getting into like magic the gathering territory and i'm terrible at that game. but it's not draft a whole deck it's draft half a deck half a deck (laughs) yeah yeah make sure you know all the cards that are in your base deck and then draft another half of that deck again to to fit together and hope it all works and i think at that point uh, i think i'm done i plea I plead the fifth, and I will no longer say anything to incriminate myself, which means I probably should just not talk. Laura, why don't you take us out? I think it's too luck-based for my taste. I have enjoyed it the times that we've played it because of the, as I said, like the story that it tells, but there's not a big satisfaction in the win because it just feels like there's literally just too much the luck of the draw yeah look rock manor games you guys have clearly put a lot of heart and effort into it and uh for us it's just not not really for us but as we've said for other games here there might be some other people out there who really enjoy it just not for us and uh i did it i stole all the art and it's hidden in a false floor upstairs uh i'm sorry i just couldn't i couldn't hold it in anymore gotta go going.
checked in in a while here, despite you know being married. We haven't, mm-hmm. we haven't living really... in the house and both working from home, <laughs> never seeing each other. We haven't we haven't really uh, we haven't really checked in with each other. How's it going with you? Well, you know it's it's pretty good, but you know how it is like when you buy a hex factory and they just um, give you these four vats of goop and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? And you're like, well, uh, I don't know. I guess next thing you know, you're buying some lava fusers and a few ecto well, trappers and a boom tube or two. Uh, and you're just kind of trying to connect all these things to make it work so that you can get those goop things and in, turn into um, black goop. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> Look, I know you work upstairs and, and I work downstairs <laughs> during the day. <laughs> What are you doing up there? I hear you making sales calls. I did not know you were buying, you know, the Freedomizer or the Meepler. What are you meepling up there? You know, you, you can't stop me when I when I <laughs> get into Hexland. It's uh, it sounds like a problem we're gonna have to tackle independently, and whoever tackles it the best uh, is the is the one who had the most factory fun. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, this is this is Factory Funner from BoardGameTables.com. This was uh, one part of a three-part Kickstarter they did a while ago. It came in a while ago, as all of our Kickstarters seem to. <laughs> they sit on our shelf for a while, and then we play them. Uh, this came along with uh, Ghosts of Christmas and Bear Raid. Which we will definitely also be reviewing. Oh, yeah. We'll be covering those down the line. But we got into Factory Funner first because uh, Factory Fun. Was, I loved it so much. Yeah. We we bought two <laughs> copies of it. Uh, we, didn't we? We ended up buying two copies of it. And gifted them. And gifted them. Yep. I don't know why we didn't keep one of them, but we're just we're giving people. We're givers. Well, because we have dear friends who have it. Yeah. So. Oh, that's we can just play it at their house. We can just drop on in uninvited and play Factory Fun at three in the morning. You know, honestly, I have a feeling that if we did say <laughs> like, hey, we just want to come yeah. and Mark play and one Vanessa of your board games, they would, would probably be okay with that. They would probably still be awake. <laughs> They're true. probably listening to this at 3 a.m. right now. Hey, guys, we're coming over. This is the follow-up. Comes in a smaller box. Definitely easier to get, easier to get your hands on. And the biggest change is uh, the transition to hexes. Factory Fun was on squares, and and this game is on hexes, which I already think already a significant improvement for the better. For the better, we'll cover that. But for people who might not be familiar with the fun factories of Factory Fun, well, you get all of these hexes. Yeah, so many hexes <laughs> with machines on them. Yeah. That basically have a bunch of pipes of different colors, like input and output pipes going into a machine that is got a nice little like, I don't know, like if the Where's Waldo artists yeah. were making factory machines, they would probably look something like this. And then there's uh, the factory floors, which are big hex grids with some spots that are blocked off by other stuff, other stuff that you yep. can't build on. They're yeah. double sided. According to the manual or from what I've read. One of the sides of each of these is the easy side. And though they may look a little different from board to board, they are all supposedly the same level of easiness. But then the other side are ranked in difficulty one through six, B1 through B6. And uh, if you want to introduce some handicap in there, uh, you can you can do that uh, yep. by giving someone a harder board to deal with. These boards all have names. These companies actually have names. I'm looking at RYBG. I'm looking at... 
Goo Incorporated. The red one is Hex Factory. Uh, these pipes are us. And I wanted to mention on these little machines that take in and spit out the colors. I hadn't really looked at the, the different machines. I kind of thought they were all the same, but no, it turns out the multiplier looks a lot different than the meepler, which looks a lot different than the freedomizer. Yeah, they put a lot of little thought into it. It's yeah, nice. Totally didn't even need to do that, and they did, so good for them. Uh, and, and then you got your vats. You, you got, got your yep. like starter goop vats I mentioned. You've got vats of infinite goo. Mm-hmm. Blue, red, yellow, and green. Yeah. And then you have... I guess goo receptacles. <laughs> receptacles uh, <laughs> of infinite goo. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's the uh, black ones, and then there are kind of neutral colored ones that yeah. can be filled with any runoff goop in the primary colors as yeah. well. So the way the game plays is uh, everyone gets a board. Everyone gets eight of these machine tiles randomly chosen. And upside down, yep. so you don't know what you got. Mix, 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 and you build yourself a little stack of eight. We have this this common scoreboard, and everyone gets to put one of their score markers on there. Everyone starts with 10 monies. Monies are points. Points are monies in this game. And then you kind of put oh, these... I forgot about the pipes. These pipes, this big collection of pipes gets put out uh, within reach of everyone. You're probably never going to run out unless you're playing six players and everyone's going pipe crazy. Uh, <laughs> but you don't need to worry about that. And then you, you also have this first and last token, which we'll cover what that means in just a second. The game takes place over eight rounds, and every round plays out exactly the same. Everyone goes one, two, three, flip. And takes the top one off their stack. And reveals it, and uh, everyone looks at those ones that just got revealed and decides which, if any, they want to take. Uh, I, oh, I want that one. First come, first serve. Yep, first person to touch a tile gets it. And if you touch a tile... You have to take it. No take backs. No give backs. If you're the first person to grab a tile, you also take this first tile, which will penalize you $1. It'll cost you $1 to be the first person to take a tile. Likewise, the person who is the last to grab gets the plus one last tile. Yeah. If you take a tile, you have to build with it. You got to put it on your factory floor. If you don't, not only do you not get any income, you lose $2. The exception to that is the last person. If the last person to take a tile uh, decides to not build, they're fine. They can just throw it away. You're not going to get stuck with something that you can't build if you're willing to just wait it out. But most of the time, you're going to see one that you like, you're going to grab it, and now you got to figure out where it's going to go on your factory floor. So there are a lot of things to consider when you take a tile. Uh, I think probably the The first thing that you might notice is that they all have a number in the middle, which is their dollar value. You place a tile. That is how much money you'll get minus however many other things you need to build to make it work. So pipes that you might have to put down or infinite goo tanks that you have to put down or receptacles that you have to put down. Each one of those pieces, no matter what it is, is going to subtract one from, from the dollar amount that you get. They're free to take off the board if you need to rearrange, but putting back on the board... Whatever it is, cost you a buck. Mm-hmm. And then everything has got some kind of input and some kind of output. I'm looking at one right here. This is a Das Hook. And it takes in one yellow and three red, and it spits out three yellow. Now, if I were a smart individual, I could maybe direct that three yellow to another machine. That needs a three yellow input. Yeah, find one right there. What's that one called? That, that nine. Yeah, yeah what's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the... 
Packmaster. The Packmaster. It has a three yellow input mm-hmm. along with, what is that, a two blue? A two blue. So if I could direct this machine's three output into the Packmaster's three yellow input and then figure out how to get two blue in there, I score myself a cool nine points. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but yes, that's basically the the end game is to try to, where possible, yeah. supply outputs of machines as inputs to other machines. Yeah. That's end game points for you. But whenever you play a new tile, yeah. you need to make sure that the input conditions are met yep. and that the output doesn't fall on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you got, yeah. So you'd have to catch it. You've you, you, Every player has these three white uh, reservoirs and the white reservoirs can catch any output that is not black. And then the black reservoirs can only catch black and black output is important because no machines take in black. That's just something the final you product. Yeah. You just did all of this is in service of producing huge quantities of black goo. <laughs> and that's, I don't know why we don't question it, but that's what you have to deal with. And then once everyone has placed what they're going to place and everyone's machine is performing as it needs to and no one's factory is breaking any rules, then you pull the comically oversized lever and everyone gets the money uh, from the factory that they just placed down. It'll score you once and that'll be it. So if I put this, uh, what is it, the Zap 3000, I put this on the board and I can feed in somehow three red and one green, it'll spit out one green and I'll get 10 monies. And remember, monies are points. One little thing to know, and you may have noticed that he happened to choose one that has a one green input and one green output. Oh, yeah. No infinite loops. You nope. cannot create your output <laughs> back to your input. Nope. You it's unnatural. We did not, not how the factory funnists intended it. <laughs> not only can you not do it like immediately, but you, you, like, you can't form any kind of closed loop at all. Uh, you can't, don't try to get clever. Don't try to chain three or four machines together or whatever to, to try to create some giant perpetual goo machine. You got you got to make sure to fly right. So that's that's one round, and you just do that seven more times. Right around round four is when you start regretting the decisions you made in round one. <laughs> oh, I've made a huge mistake. So as Paul mentioned, you can do rearranging. Yep. In the very beginning, you're inevitably going to have to be putting down some of your perpetual goo sources yeah. in the the red yellow blue and green tanks because you don't have any other output to feed into things nope. but you'll definitely want to replace them at some point with some other machines that have an output that could be fed in so there's why do you want to do that for points oh yeah that's right points when you supply a machine with another one of your machines you will get three points slash dollars mm-hmm. at the end for every input that you were able to provide. So back to my Zap 3000 here. It takes in three red and one green, and it spits out a green. With that three red, if I'm able to provide three red into this machine from another machine of mine, that's one, two, three times three. That's nine points at the end of the game. That's cool. But all three of those have to come from my machines. You can't get two from a machine and one from the infinite vat of red goo. It's gotta be all or nothing. But if you do have something that has like a three output, you can feed that into two separate machines, one that needs a two and one that needs a one. Definitely you can do that. Yeah. So there's, as you can probably imagine, uh, if you're visualizing this as we're talking about it, uh, a lot of 
possibilities that yeah. start to blossom as you start laying things out. But also because you are working on this board with a finite number of spaces and you cannot move your machines after you place them, you can run pipes all willy nilly however you want yeah. all the way in a, you know, outer ring around the board if you want to. But as you start running things around the board and also having to avoid whatever obstacles are yeah. built into the the floor mat that you chose, yeah. you're going to run out of space. Yep. Also, while there are every shape of pipe, you know, from just single straight pieces to things that branch out in two or three or four different ways, you are restricted to playing only one pipe connecting to each side of the hex. Yeah. So if I have two pipes, each carrying a different goo color, uh, they can't share the same side of a hex. You can cross them over, but they can't go in or out of the same side. Yep. So it gets tricky real quick, especially since you only have one infinite goo source of each color. Yeah. And while you can move these around. (laughs) You better make sure you've planned centrally, uh, which you can't do because you've got obstacles in the center of your factory. Yeah. At some point, you'll be running a really crazy pipe from one place to another place. It is just a given that that's how the game is gonna gonna go for you at some point yeah that's that's the game it, we've played this uh, multiple times with lots of different people and everyone we've played it with has enjoyed it uh, yes. it plays quick we play the whole game in like 45 minutes the graphic design is on point it's very clear to see what the machines do and what you need to feed into them and what you get out of them the simultaneous machine selection is excellent it keeps the game going and keeps everyone involved at all times if you have a lot of ap prone people if you have a lot of people who are just sitting there crunching over their factory you know you could politely maybe secretly set a little uh, five minute timer on your phone and when it goes off go oh did i set that accidentally oh man well maybe we should just move on to the next round well this is something that factory funner funners <laughs> okay than the original factory fun more fun yeah <laughs> because the original factory fun did not have any restrictions on moving things around i mean you had to pay yeah. for it but if, if you're i really to pay you, for it you could move everything yeah and so <sighs> <laughs> so here's what you do you take your iphone out or your android device or or digital camera or polaroid or you, you know, draw a quick sketch of it. Draw a quick <laughs> etch a sketch, right? <laughs> you get out that camera that that does uh, the the imaging on the uh, the, the acid plates <laughs> or whatever, and you take a picture and then hope that you're able to put it all back together if you mess up. So I loved that game. Yeah, but was definitely the person who was making everybody yeah. wait. Like I, cause I wanted so badly to make it work and I knew that it could, yeah. but my brain just couldn't, it was like a puzzle that my brain just couldn't put together in an efficient enough way to play with other people. I should probably play it by myself and I'd be very happy, <laughs> yeah. but this solves that problem by limiting you to only being able to move around the connector pipes and the tanks and the sources, but never the machines. Yeah. You know, they say great art comes from restriction. And I feel like uh, great game design comes from it too. Um, games where you can do anything and everything often can end up bogging you down and being like, well, what's the point if I can just do anything I want? Adding this restriction actually makes the game better because now you feel like it's a lot more manageable. Uh, Factory Funner, 
from BoardGameTables.com. They've got another Kickstarter coming up at some point soon. And uh, if if you're listening to this five years from now, uh, maybe they maybe that could still be true. Maybe they'll be doing a Kickstarter all the time, every time. But if you're listening to this, you know about the time we released it, keep an eye out, and and you can you can pick up a copy from them. Because the one thing I will say about BoardGameTables.com, you don't seem to be able to buy their games anywhere other than directly from them. Hmm. I, you I go to Board Game Oracle or Board Game Atlas. And you're gonna have a hard time finding a copy of their game at like any of the online retailers at all. So pay attention to their Kickstarters. Uh, order directly from their site. Their shipping is is decently cheap. So you order three or four copies of a game uh, to just stash in secret all over the house. Uh, and and you're only gonna, you're probably gonna pay a, a low low amount of shipping. Now, uh, Laura, I hate to cut this short, but uh, I think I see various colors of goop. Uh, running down our staircase, I think I think that's a you problem, because I've got I've got my stuff on lock. But I've already used all three of my bats. Oh no! Uh, well, then I guess we'll just have to penalize you two bucks. Imagine, if you will, that you are. Mathematician, game designer, part-time vigilante, solver of the Valenzetti equation, and uh, all-around cosmic being. What's the Valenzetti equation? Oh, it's the equation that is that is going to determine exactly when all of civilization is going to end, and its entire crux hinges on these five numbers that represent certain variables and those numbers are 4 8 15 16 23 is this 42. from lost <laughs> yes very good you win ding 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 you win the no prize for guessing the the pop culture reference solver of the valenzetti equation and overall cosmic being who can disassemble and reassemble himself down to and from his constituent atoms hair doctor reiner knizia Imagine that you are Herr Dr. Reiner Knizia and you are playing a Steffen Feld game. <laughs> now, dear listener, if you've never played a Steffen Feld game, they're coming. Don't worry, we have quite a few to cover. Just know that they are uh, involved, intricate point salad. And you, and you were playing a Steffen Feld game and you're like, I can do that. And uh, you decide to enlist the help of another designer by the name of Martino Cecera. Do you think I said that right? I hope I said that right. I hope I said that right, Martino. You work together with Martino and come up with your own spin on a Steffenfeld point salad style game. And you have created Witchstone. It's more of a point potion bowl than a salad, a really. Point, a point bowl, <laughs> point uh, goulash. Yeah, there you go. Witchstone. We didn't really have a clever bit for this. I mean, I mean we could have just sat here for five minutes doing Witchstone. <laughs> Witchstone. We do enough of that totally organically yeah. when we're playing. Whose so. stone? <laughs> D stone. We could have easily done that, but we respect you too much, dear listener. So uh, here we are. Witchstone by Rainer Knizia and Martino Cecera. It is probably... 
one of the least Kinesia-esque games uh, we have in our collection and that I've played in quite a while. It's a game about uh, dropping ingredients into a cauldron, taking actions on a board, and uh, scoring some points in the various, I would call these almost little mini-games yeah. that you got going on here. Yeah. With a surprising amount of overlap between all of them, yet they are all very uh, distinct, very separate. Oh, they all reference each other. Yeah. Yep. Why don't you go ahead? Oh, and dear start Laura. with like the overview here. Yeah, and tell us. Let's start. Maybe let's start with this cauldron here. Great. We'll keep it. We'll keep it small. I'll start with the cauldron. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you've got you've got a little cauldron. <laughs> what is that noise? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk about the cauldron. Okay. Uh, it's got handles on the side. Oh yeah. For for like in case the gaming gets really intense. Right. So you can grip your cauldron. Grip your cauldron. Mm-hmm. Grip it good. It's full of hexes, and if you've heard our show before, you probably know how I feel about hexes. Yeah, boy. Let me tell you something. We've been together for four years, and I've just now discovered her love of hexes, and it has, it has vastly improved all kinds of aspects of our relationship. <laughs> it's great. So, obviously, I was inclined immediately to like this game, but around the border of this kind of pot, of pot hexes. full of hexes yeah. uh, are some symbols that reference the different mini games on the board. And then when you turn your gaze to the board. Oof, this is a big board. Yeah, you've got like a kind of like a crystal ball thing in the middle. Yeah. Take, that's the main focus. Yep. And the crystal ball has a bunch of buildings and there's a tower in the middle and then there's these little energy oh, current It's not lines. just a tower. It is titular. It's the titular tower? It's the it's titular. the witch stone? It is the witch stone. Oh. <laughs> I guess it is a stone. Yeah. What stone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one in the middle. Ah, you're not picking it up, huh? <laughs> Fine. I'll try again later. Whew. <laughs> so there's also these energy currents that connect all the different spots on the board. Yeah. These energy currents can be one, two, or three segments long. Yep. Then you've got a whole bunch of things happening on... What's here in the upper left? Oh, that would be the pentagram area. The pentagram. And around the pentagram are a couple of spots for some extra point tiles and some spots for some extra bonus action tiles. And if the pentagram is a mini game, then yep. it's really just whoever's in the lead. It's kind of just <laughs> circle. Yeah, go run around the pentagram as fast as you can. Yep. Can't uh, catch me. I'm the uh, occult man. Really should have tested that one out first I do you want to figure something else out later and plug it back in like you were clever yeah let's do that perfect <laughs> so the yeah the the pentagram area is like a circle and yep. there's as paul mentioned tiles with points those are stacked up highest points on top to lowest points on the bottom so if you just want to run circles around the pentagram area and have that be part of how you play the game yeah then you will deplete the highest point tiles before your opponent does so that's yeah. that's beneficial that's one area I'm going to move counterclockwise around the board and discuss the next area there. Sure. Uh, then there's a bunch of shelves with jars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in said jars are symbols representing basically all of the other mini games. Well, we haven't mentioned all the mini games yet. No. So let's come back to the jars. We will return to the jars. Okay, perfect. That yeah. sounds good. Down at the bottom of the board, yeah. you've got your wand. The big wand. It is a very large wand. It takes up the entire bottom of the board, basically. I don't understand how anyone is supposed to actually wield that wand. It's like a it's like a two handed wand. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It's like halfway to sword. It's like a broad wand. <laughs> and it's really nubby. There's in fact 
There's nubs the whole way down that also reference the other <laughs> mini games. Nubs all the way down. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I think we described that pretty well. Yeah. No, it's a wand with uh, spots that don't do anything. Wands that reward you for having done things and spots that let you do things more. Yep, and those things that you can do more are all the other things on the board that we're talking about. In fact, yeah. one of the things that's on the wand in a nubby spot is a double pentagram action. So yep. if you happen to proceed that far down the wand, then you can also take a couple steps around the circle of pentagram fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you call it, the circle of pentagram fun? I sure did. <laughs> Come on down, kids. <laughs> ah, we're doing great. Keep it up. This is fantastic. <laughs> we're, we're just there's so so much cleverness happening yeah. right now. Uh, then over here at the other side of the board is yep. kind of a market, really. Yeah. Uh, a conveyor this, belt. Yeah, it's a conveyor belt market. So this is where you can pick up cards that will give you either some kind of a bonus ability now or points in the end game or conditions to be met for even more points in the end game. Yep. The rulebook calls those prophecies. So it'll be something like if at the end of the game you have made an energy connection to one forest, you'll get some points. If you've made an energy connection to two forests, you'll get even more points. And if you've made an energy connection to three forests, you'll get a bunch of points. Yep. So then moving back to the jars, I think. Yeah, back to the jars. I think I think we've covered all the things. Yeah. So you've got jar. Oh, no, we didn't talk about which actions. Which actions? <laughs> In the aforementioned... Crystal ball. Crystal ball slash map with yeah. the energy connections between buildings and towers and yeah. forests and whatnot in the middle uh this is where you will be sending your meeples out your witches yep i'm not really sure thematically what's happening but i guess you're just traveling the land and making making connections you're connections. networking you're yeah. networking yeah you're schmoozing there you go perfect <laughs> showing everyone your your t- double-handed wand <laughs> I was going to make a touching wands joke. (laughs) It's probably a good idea that you not. And cut. So back to the the jars. The jars have things like move your witches around. Yeah. Or build an extra energy connection or two. Oh. Or move some crystals around in your cauldron. I totally forgot to mention that your cauldron has crystals in it. The crystals in the cauldron. Yeah. So you got crystals in your cauldron, and you start with uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six. Some some crystals in your cauldron. Some of them are normal crystals, and then you have one special black crystal in the middle. And one of the actions you can take is move the crystals around inside of your cauldron, eventually trying to get them towards the outside, towards these symbols that are around the outside of it. And if you manage to successfully get one of your crystals off of your cauldron out onto one of those symbols. Then you move the crystal over to where the jars are, mm-hmm. and you put the crystal on the jar that lines up with the symbol that you just moved the crystal off onto, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you get to take that action a few more times. So if I move a crystal off of my cauldron uh, via the spot that is the energy connection, then I get to take my crystal and put it on the energy connection jar and take uh, an extra energy connection action. Now, the jars are limited. In a two-player game, there's only four total jars. So once the fourth extra energy action is taken, then you you can't put crystals on those energy connection jars anymore. Got to put them down here in the 
general jar area and instead get to kind of take some bonus chips for your trouble that give you the same actions more or less but just fewer of them yeah becomes some compensation so one of the other reasons that you might want to move things out of your cauldron is to make space for the tiles that you need to put there oh the tiles let's talk about the tiles no i want to finish the jars first oh we're back to the jars okay and then we'll come back to the cauldron that's how that's where the gameplay happens really that's true so then you also have jars for the prophecies for taking a prophecy yeah fyi if you have more prophecy symbols you don't have to limit yourself to the end of the conveyor belt. You might have a selection of some more options on the conveyor belt. That's yeah, nice. If I see one that, that Laura wants or that I really cannot afford to lose, if I can get myself enough scroll icons together to, to perform a level four scroll action, then that's going to let me take all the way to the further to the left of the conveyor belt to be able to get it before Laura does. Yep. Then you've got the running around the pentagram of fun yep. symbol over there in the jars and the wand action in jars. So if you hadn't noticed, each of these areas basically in some form or another references all of the other areas. So the pentagram area, in addition to having the the points tokens, also has tokens that you can put in your cauldron to give you an extra symbol of any of these other types, like extra witch actions, extra moving your crystal actions, extra wand actions, extra... Prophecy, scrolly prophecy, choosing actions, actions yeah, etc. We just discussed the jars. The wand has these same options on it, various points along the wand, and then some of the prophecy tiles also uh, will give you additional of these other actions as well. Likewise, when you are moving your witches around the board, if you happen to be the first witch to end up in a new location, there will be a bonus tile there for you, which will also have. <laughs> Actions, some, actions, some more actions. actions and points in these other areas. Points and, and actions, points. actions and points. Whew. So that's a lot. I know that was that was probably pretty muddy, dear listener. But the reason for that is that everything you do. Yeah, this whole game is a circle. Yeah, everything relates points to you somewhere else. Yeah, everything relates to everything else. And I'll, I'll tell you something. Uh, just know, dear listener, that is a feature of the game. It actually is what makes the game work. It's what mm-hmm. makes the game interesting. Uh, and let's talk about how the game actually plays. Right oh, now. yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the cauldron here. Yeah. Back. We're going back. Just focus on the. Back to the cauldron. Beautiful handled little pot in front of you full yep. of hexes. Yep. Don't drop it. It's a good thing it's got good secure handles. The cauldron is where you're actually going to be focusing your attention on your turn to help you figure out what it is you're actually going to do. Everyone's going to start the game with an assortment of dual hex tiles. It's like two hexes kind of side by side, sharing a a side. They look like peanut shapes. Yeah, right. Exactly. And on the left half of the peanut is a pentagram. And on the right half is the symbol for making an energy connection. For example, this is the one you just grabbed. Yep. So uh, my cauldron is blank except for the crystals and some pre-printed symbols around the border. And I can take this double-sided peanut hex tile and I can put it anywhere in my cauldron that I want and I have five to choose from like uh, scrabble tiles kind of and I can put this anywhere in the cauldron that I want as long as it's not on top of a crystal that might be there and if you recall uh, the cauldron starts with some crystals around there that you'll eventually want to move out of the way Um, but I I put a, a tile down on there and at the very least in this example I've got to take one energy action and I'll get to take one pentagram action. So for that pentagram action, I take my little meeple and I move it one space around the pentagram. 
And then for my energy action, for my one energy action, I get to take one of my little energy crystals here and I get to put it in the crystal ball building out from where I start in the, in the ball. And I can, I can put a, an energy crystal down there to start building out connections between all the different nodes on the map. Now on a future turn, if I put down another tile that maybe has a wand and an energy connection symbol on it, and I put that tile down next to the other energy symbol that I had put down on a previous turn, now I get one wand action for that one wand symbol, and then I get two energy actions because now I've formed a cluster of the two energy connections. And that's gonna let me put down two of these energy crystals in a single shot, boom, boom. So this part of the game is all about building up efficiencies building up these clusters of actions to, to allow you to do two, three, four, five things on a single turn. Build a giant network of energy connections in a single turn, or maybe take six or seven wand actions in a single turn, or move a bunch of your witches around inside the crystal ball. Uh, that is the kind of, of thing you wanna do. And uh, spoiler alert, that is the kind of thing I am terrible at. <laughs> I'm bad at it. I always think I know what I'm gonna do, and then by the end of the game, I've, I've got no clusters. I've got very small clusters, the tiniest of clusters. So because the peanuts, there's only, they're all unique, there's only one of each pairing, Yeah. and there are just the six symbols that we mentioned, the crystal symbol, the witch symbol, the pentagram, the energy, the prophecy scroll, and the wand. Yeah. So you will probably be able to build a big cluster or maybe two of different, yeah. of different things, but you're not likely going to be able to build big clusters for all of the symbols. Yeah. So part of figuring out your gameplay is what things do I want to be really efficient at this time? Yeah. And kind of how can I make up for the difference with those actions? Fortunately for you, Every action that you do on the board probably is going to let you do <laughs> some th some other kind else. of action. Yeah, yeah. In this game that we just played, for example, I had no efficiency in my cauldron for energy connections. Yeah. In fact, I've got no bigger than a cluster of two. Two. I see a two right there. And yet, and yet, I still managed <laughs> to make plenty of connections based on you know getting a tile in the pentagram area that let me do that and climbing up the wand and yeah. letting me do that. So. There's other ways to kind of make up for your weaknesses in the cauldron by referencing those actions elsewhere on the board. Yeah, so the game just goes around and around the table with everyone taking a tile from behind their little player screen uh, where they have uh, five tiles to choose from. And they put one on their cauldron and they take an action based on the, the size of the clusters that they've contributed to with that tile. And by the end of the game, uh, you've got a cauldron full of tiles. Everyone gets 11 turns. So we go around the table 11 times. And once that's done, there's just a couple of uh, end game scoring things you got to worry about. And then whoever has the most points is the witchiest witch of all, the stoniest witch. And that's it. It's, it's all these interlocking, interleaving systems that all reference each other. And, uh, and it's a good time. We can get through, we get through a two player game of this in like, 45 minutes. Yeah. And we got through a three-player game in about like an hour. That was including the teach in about an hour, maybe maybe an hour 10. Yeah, and I'd say it passed the Anne test. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it did pass <laughs> the Anne test. If Anne likes the art and she isn't immediately bored by the theme, that's usually a good indicator mm -hmm. that it that it'll pass the Anne test. What do we think? How we do we like feel? We like this game. Yeah, we do, don't we? It's pleasant. 
I wouldn't call it non-interactive because I do feel like I'm taking into consideration what you're doing. Yep, for sure. This is not, despite these cauldrons, you know, being in front of us, this is not the kind of game necessarily where you put your head down and, and pop up after 11 turns and see who scored the most points. You're able to kind of see exactly what everyone's doing. And because you can navigate other people's energy connections inside the crystal ball, we actually did this for the first time. I, I started spending my uh, movement actions inside the crystal ball, my witch actions. I started spending those actions moving along Laura's energy connections to try to get some extra points. I think that worked out okay. I still lost by a lot, but uh, I think, <laughs> but that's not why. That's not the reason why I lost. Uh, but it's not completely everyone's off doing their own thing in a multiplayer solitaire land. But this isn't exactly like a knife fight either. No, no, definitely not. As we mentioned, there's an advantage to being ahead a bit on the pentagram track. There's an advantage to being ahead a bit on the wand. Yeah. And there's also a little bit of a race to get the bonus tokens. Oh, yeah. And uh, to be the first into the witch stone. There's Mm -hmm. a if you're the first person to make a connection to the witch stone and get one of your witches onto there, then you'll get some extra points. And then if you're the second person, not as many. But none of these things are game-breaking point advantages. So it's really more just kind of keeping an eye on where other people are and helping that to inform maybe what you're going to do this turn. Like, I may not want to play a wand action this turn until I have enough of a wand cluster cluster to surpass you on the wand and be able to get the full advantage. To make it worth it. Definitely an efficiency game. Definitely, like, I shouldn't bother doing this thing until I can do it a lot. I shouldn't bother taking a witch action unless I have like five witch actions in one shot. Um, You'll be thinking things like that. I'd call it like a medium weight efficiency puzzle, I think. That's a good Uh, way of putting it. And I think it's also a really good area for Herr Dr. Reiner Knizia to kind of branch out into. I haven't really seen him make a game like this in... If ever, and and it could be because you know, as according Martino. to the credits, yeah, old Martino there is helping out, and and it, I don't know what that dynamic was. I don't know if it was Martino's idea and and Herr Doctor developed it, or vice versa, or what. I don't know, but his name is listed first, and you know, other people who review the game call it, you know, Reiner Knizia's new game, Witchstone. So you know, I'll kind of just you know follow the lead of everybody else. Yeah. Dr. Kanitsia does it again. We have like five or six of his games in our collection, and we like almost all of them. Uh, and, and this is another good one. I can't really, you know, speak to how long it's going to stay in the collection. I bet you if we played this like 10 or 15 times, we'd probably say I think we've seen enough of mm. what it has to offer. And when that day comes, we'll send it on to a new home. But for right now, I think... It's going to stay on our shelf. And And we'll continue to introduce some new people to it because it's easily digestible and fun. Yeah. Uh, Just like the contents of this cauldron (laughs) that I am now going to grip with both hands and just chug straight down. Wish me luck. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, bad idea. And there we go. Mishmash, grab bag. Yep. Knickknack. Couple of keepers. Paddy couple whack. of. I'll <laughs> say that again. I want to start that again. <laughs> Cut. There we go. Mishmash. And a, a grab bag. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say patty whack again. No, again, no. I never said it the first time. That that take has been exorcised. <laughs> it never happened. Nope. Yeah, so a couple of keepers. Yeah. A couple of not Lose, keepers. Losers? Get rid of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep, but hey, you know, we're accomplishing the mission here. We're we're forwarding the mission, which is to get rid of the ones that we just don't need to be keeping around. Unfortunately, both the ones that we're passing on are the small boxes, yeah. and the ones that we're keeping are the bigger boxes. <laughs> Factory Funner is a decent-sized box, so it's not taking... That's true. It's that's a huge. verticaler one that you can put uh, kind of wedge in there next to, uh, you know, all the other Vitala Serta games or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. It's like a cake topper. You can't, yeah, you <laughs> for can't really sort of games. wedge anything <laughs> into those games. That takes up an entire Calyx cube. A couple of games we're saying goodbye to. A couple of games we're keeping around. We have some shout outs, actually. We have, we, we have been given homework by one person, and uh, we wanted to express some gratitude to another person. What do we got there? We've, we've written down our reminders, our to-dos here. Well, specifically, yeah. our to-do yeah. is to give a dinner report. That's true. Mm-hmm. To Jess. A, to Jess at Community Connection Gaming. I hung out on a Twitch stream with Jess and Chris from Charity Board Gamer, who we'll get to in just a second, while they were playing some Skull King. And I mentioned that it was time to go for dinner. And Jess was very interested in what we were having for dinner. So <laughs> I'm pleased to report the Mango Mostarda Pork Medallions from Home Chef. Turned out very delicious. Got some mango chutney, some lemon and herb seasoning, some uh, broccoli florets, Dijon mustard, Jamaican jerk seasoning, some butter, some pork medallions. Mix it all up. You just got the recipe, folks. I hope did. you were taking notes. Yeah, I hope you just you mix sh- all that up and you'll mix have it all up. Our dinner: mango mustard, pork medallions. Home chef Jess, this for you. Definitely not for Home Chef. They have not paid us to advertise. This, although that would be sweet, I would happily read some kind of ad copy. Oh yeah, so happily. Yeah, the two ways to know you've made it is if Me Undies wants you to read an ad, and if Weird Al parodies your podcast. I think that's the right way. <laughs> the other thing we wanted to say was uh, thanks to Chris from Charity Board Gamer for letting us hang out while they were playing Skull King, and uh, and we we chatted a little bit about trick taking games and how many we have on our small shelf that implies the existence of a medium and a large shelf, which mm-hmm. we definitely have and a sub basement. That's not a shelf. That's just like a repository. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We'll call it that. We'll call it- <laughs> and for pretty much letting me just blatantly plug the show on my way out the door, I literally said, Hey, it's dinner time. Is it okay if I drop a plug for the show? And he said, yeah, sure. So uh, wanted to uh, do the inverse plug, although I don't think I don't think he needs it compared to us. But yeah, Chris at charityboardgamer.com. Dot, dot, I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume dot com. <laughs> yeah, very well might not be. Yeah, it's on Twitter though, Charity Board Gamer on Twitter, and uh, they have a Twitch stream. Really nice guy over there, and I look forward to uh, hanging out with him some more uh, in the chat while they play some games, and maybe even getting to hang out and play some games on Sovereignty. That's where everyone's playing their games these days. So yeah, the the small shelf, the medium shelf, the large shelf, all of it full of games that we, dear listener, would love to continue to talk to you about. And we'll do so as we return in episode 14, which we don't really know the theme of yet. We've got some ideas. I guess we'll all find out together. But in the meantime, thank you, dear listener, for, for honoring, honoring us with, with your, your ears. ears. One of them puts down a card and they have led. 
Uh, they have led the trick. And then the other one comes through and steals the other one's wallet and runs away. That is a different type of trick-taking, I think. <laughs> 